I think it's kind of a movie about belief, belief in art, belief in the power of art to transform your life, you know, and those are usually kind of empty words that nobody actually thinks can be true, but here's a place that has been doing it and centering art in their lives for 50 years. That's Jeff Momberg. He and Chris Schellen are the directors of the documentary Spectaculo. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Every year in the Tuscan Hills, the residents of the small village of Montechiello come together to write and perform an original play about issues concerning their own lives. This tradition has been going on for 50 years, and the issues they've covered are like a lesson in the social history of the area. They've grappled with the Nazi occupation, the changes in agricultural production, the growing tourism in the area, the banking crisis, the women's movement, the rise of technology, the town's aging population, and so on and so on. The villagers gather in the winter, settle on a topic, and slowly, slowly a play emerges, which is mounted in August. During that gestation period, there are discussions, rehearsals, sets are built, costumes created, and arguments had. Because just as important as the play, maybe even more so, is the process of these neighbors coming together regularly and over time to discuss, challenge, and wrestle with a central issue in their lives through creative practice. And in the hands of filmmakers Chris Schellen and Jeff Malmberg, this process is both magical and earned. Their film Spectaculo is a window into this world, which Schellen and Malmberg actually discovered by happenstance. As Chris Schellen explains, they had just finished their first film, Marenghal, and were on their honeymoon when they wandered into Montechiello and met the artistic director of the theater, Andrea Cresti. We stepped into this town, and it just was immediately different from every other town we had seen in Tuscany. It didn't feel touristy. You know, we didn't see the lines of tourists. It seemed like a, quote, real town. And there was only one open door in town, and it was the door to this artist studio. And it, it just looked like a medieval artist studio. And there was a man inside with this big shock of silver hair. And he was just fascinating looking. And both Jeff and I immediately thought, oh, well, where's our camera? We wish we could film him. Who is he? And he was an artist, Andrea Cresti. And we were curious about him, and we happened to read this flyer that talked about this theater that this town put on. And it turned out that he was the artistic director. And we just couldn't stop thinking about it. Let's talk a little bit about Montechiello today. There is such a timelessness about this place. Of course, it's changed over time and not. Right. Mm -hmm. And you see tourists coming in and people moving away. Tell me about Montechiello. They're dealing with how do you maintain a life in a Tuscan hill town. Their theater, I think, has really been a safety device to this kind of looming tourist threat. They're really the only hill town that we ever saw in that area of Tuscany that had actual people living there. And I think it was really a function of that theater kind of binding them together. And yet, as you point out in the film, the town's population is aging, therefore decreasing. It has 136 people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, they had a great play in 1999, remember, Chris, called uh, Quota 300, 
which was about this strange vision of what would happen to them if they went below 300 people. So now they're at 136 people. You know, you can kind of chart that out and start to wonder, how does this tradition continue? Yeah, they, they lost their bus line that led straight to town, and a lot of the services have been cut. So they've been trying to figure out how to keep the town going, yeah. just using their own resources. Were you able to discover how this tradition began? We we were. You talked about how how Tuscany looks very much the same as it as it did years and years ago, and that is true because before the 1950s, it was very much like a medieval farming culture. They still used oxen to plow the fields. They would sleep down with the animals for warmth. They used wooden tools. It it was a medieval feudal culture, and then in the 1950s 1960s, that culture started to go away. The tenant farming culture. And all of a sudden, these farmers started to move away, and Tuscany started to become depopulated. And the people of Monticello were watching all of their neighbors just disappear. And they were watching, you know, foreigners and outsiders come in and open up shops and start to change the the area. And they came up with the theater as almost a sort of form of protest, like a, a way to find their voice, because... They were this tiny, tiny town, and nobody cared about them. So they said, you know, we, we need people to pay attention to us. What can we do? And they came up with this idea for the theater. Well, how did you begin the process of making this documentary? How did you start? So uh, kind of our first move was to try and move from being these tourists to being on the inside. I think the idea of Tuscany in America is so loaded uh, with wine and cheese and sunsets and hay bales. So our first kind of directorial decision really was to decide to live there for six months. And how can we both understand their point of view on this land that has changed over time, but also portray it back for an audience to experience as well. And that was actually one of the really fun things about being there for that amount of time and one of the great things you can do in documentary in terms of just throwing time at a problem and kind of tracking something longitudinally. I mean, in that six months, we had the similar experience that I think you get to have in the film, which is, yes, it's beautiful, but you start to see these cracks and you start to realize that it's more a sunset story than it is a sunrise story. And and 50 years on, what does a tradition look like and how does it need to be propped up and where is it taking on water? And that really was the story of, of living there for that amount of time, was getting to kind of explore some of those things. Now, let's talk about you becoming more of an insider in that town. First of all, do you speak Italian? <laughs> we we do. do now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we, you didn't well, then. <laughs> we didn't. And that, that is a tribute to the people in that town, their great sense of humor and sense of curiosity and adventure that yeah. they would and allow trust. Yeah. and trust to allow to Americans who barely spoke Italian at all to follow them around for six months. It's full immersion. I mean, there was that magical day. Do you remember, Chris? I think it was about two or three months in where we did an interview and it was like, was that interview in English? Yeah. Immersion is the best way to learn a language. <laughs> yeah. Was Andrea Cresti, the artistic director, your in into the town? Absolutely. I mean, I think he really, bless him for his artistic sense. I always thought of him as sort of the protector of small things. And I think he took us on as kind of two small things that, you know, were well-meaning and had an artistic sense about themselves as well and that he trusted. And I think it was really his trust that allowed the town to follow. Because think about it. I mean, two Americans are going to come to your town and tell your story and live here for six months. 
that's kind of a big ask. And, you know, I think they all look to Andrea. How do you feel about this? One thing we actually did as well was we translated our last film, Marwan Call, into Italian and showed them that. And I think that was really the point where they got what we were trying to do. I remember somebody said, oh, you're trying to tell a story. And they relaxed at that point and let us go down that path with them. But yeah, it was very much Andrea believing it in the beginning. Chris, you remember that day that we had that first meeting with the townsfolks and we were trying to explain in our kind of pigeon Italian what we wanted to accomplish. And when I said, we feel like your life has real value for the world and we want to show the world what you do and we think it's important, everybody laughed except Andrea in the back. And so to some degree, I have always felt like the making of this film has been a years-long process of trying to show those people who laughed what we were talking about, that their lives have value, that the way they've chosen to spend their lives has have value. And that was always the goal. Let's talk about the process of writing the play. After the town comes together to decide on an issue, Andrea begins to write the play, but it's with ongoing input from the town and the town's approval. And they have a very particular way of looking at it. The way all the scripts that are produced, are they say that they are written by the people of Monticello. But Andrea Cresti listens to the town. And you see it in this first meeting scene in the film where he is really listening carefully to everything that the, the townspeople are saying. And he starts to pull out phrases and ideas and themes. And then he put, pulls them together into a script that then the town debates very, very heatedly. <laughs> There's the moment in the film when Andrea gives what he considers to be the thumbnail sketch of where he's going with the play. And there's this moment of silence, and suddenly everybody's talking at once. (laughs) Then that's what it's like. And I remember working on the film and thinking, okay, when we show them the rough cut, we need to pull out the lights. And if they all say, oh, that was very nice, thank you. We've, we haven't done our job correctly. But if we get that rumble of people and them kind of arguing with one another passionately, we've done our job. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure Andrea feels the same way. He wants that input. He doesn't want the sort of, okay, sounds good, Andrea. Thanks for everything. You know, he wants the collaboration. He wants people to show up. Yeah, the debate, the discussion. Mm-hmm. That's what they live for. Yeah. And we did get that with yeah. the film over the course of two nights. When we showed the film to them, uh, oh, yeah. they did erupt in that sort That's of... That's right. And then they watched it again and gave us more notes. I Ed, forgot about that. Yeah. They, wow. And they were great notes. Yeah. Really good note giving, which you don't expect normally with subjects. But of course, these subjects have been analyzing their lives on stage yeah. for 50 years. <laughs> so really yeah. good notes. And were you able to incorporate some of them into the film? Yeah, some of them. Yeah. They had some thoughts about how they came to this process and this tradition that really helped us understand that we needed to hit certain things a little bit harder and where where all this was coming from. And it's also interesting because I think certainly in the West, we have a a vision of the lone artist struggling. (laughs) And this centers on a collaborative project and a collaborative Mm -hmm. process. And as it becomes clear, if somebody's not there, it matters deeply. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And that goes for their their community, too. It was really remarkable to watch them. First of all, when we walked into the town, Andrea said to us, I just want to make one thing clear. This is about all of us. This theater is all of us in the entire town. It's not just about me. 
but of of course he just was he was so giving of himself that and it went so deep that he just naturally became the the main protagonist of the film and and I think he was okay with that understanding that he was sort of the lens for how people were seeing the town around him I think what I'm things I learned making this and watching them is that sometimes it's just about showing up that's it we also have this thing where we montage out the creative process to be this late night order a pizza and we'll figure it out and there's victory at the end and it's it's harder than that you know and it's it's i remember there was a note card i had which is creativity the joy of it the pain in the ass of it excuse me you know and i think that as a community you have to show up. So that was just one thing that really resonated with me over the course of making the film. That was exactly what was in my head, too. Thank you. You were reading <laughs> my mind. That it was about this community, not just the theater, not just about showing up for the play, but the fact that they come out every single night. And these are these are neighbors who they don't necessarily all like each other. They are a very charming town, but they have conflict. And, you know, some of them hate each other. And they'll have infights. And sometimes they don't want to talk about their problems. Sometimes they'd just rather stay home and watch TV or go to the beach or something. But they do show up. And because they do, it's frustrating. But they talk and they they have a connection and a unity that I haven't seen in in many other towns. It's, it's such a, a rare unity that they have. And it's because they do the work. And, and community is hard. It's not an easy thing. And theater is hard. It's not an easy thing. I was just going to say, as, <laughs> yeah. as is theater. And I think there's the collaborative nature that you obviously focus on. But another note I had was, boy, do you show the difficulty of sustained effort. You know, <laughs> there's, there's the creative spark, and we all love that. But then you have to right. do something with that. And that you just need to uh. keep on pushing that rock up the hill. Yeah, no, exactly right. And it's a great reminder. I mean, it was so interesting on a meta level to every single one of those scenes we would feel when we were making the film. And we would feel when we were writing grant applications. And we would feel when we were doing our little artistic effort, you know, and that we had to believe in despite all evidence or lack of any good evidence, you know. Every time that they're trying to rally themselves, that I took great comfort and it was food for me to like continue down the road because I felt like he was speaking to me, Andrea was speaking to me. What a great opportunity to watch somebody who has done this 50 years, you know? I mean, that's just incredible. I don't know. There's just something about Andrea that I find deeply inspiring. And he really, I think, is the real deal. He He's a true artist. And to be able to sit next to somebody like that, and he was so giving. He was the really the only one who had no reservations whatsoever with anything we did. Yeah, I love at the end what he's when he's talking to to the players, his the villagers, his neighbors, and he says, "What matters is that we yeah. did this thing together." It, mm-hmm. Oh, it brought a tear to my eye. It really did. Oh. Thank you. I'm trying not to. Uh, yeah, tear I up hear ourselves. you. And I mean, I'm feeling that scene very much right now. Uh, I don't know about you, Chris, but like as the movie comes out, it's not about how many people show up. It's about the fact that you did it. You yeah. know, and it's very easy to forget that. The community asks a lot of itself in doing this every year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When do they rehearse? How does this work? Some of mm-hmm. them work. Yeah. I mean, even yes. though they're aging. So mm-hmm. when does rehearsals typically begin? 
such a great question. <laughs> yeah. It took us so long to find this answer. Yeah. We, we're, notori- <laughs> we're notoriously early people, or at least I am. So I don't know if I learned that lesson of the Italian time versus American time. But, the um, Italian calendar, yeah, which it sort of suppo- starts when it's going to start. Right. <laughs> it supposedly would start at 930 every night and go till midnight. It usually didn't really get rolling till about 10. And we would shoot, we pretty much shot every other rehearsal, I think, because we'd be shooting other things. Mm -hmm. And we consciously had those breaks. They don't have those breaks. You know, they would be there every night at 930. If they were in a good mood, if they were in a bad mood, if they had a horrible day or not, you know, going through this process together. So it is remarkable that they would do that. Now, when they started that, there was no television. That really was their way of entertaining themselves. And as you see in the film, there's there are other options now. So, of course, that's one of the things that they're kind of fighting. And, and it's not just that they do it at 9.30 at night and it lasts until all hours. They have their first meetings in January, and then they'll continue to have these community meetings where they sort of drill into the script, and they figure it out. And then I think rehearsals start around... Um, End of May. May. Yeah. yeah. Um, around May, there's no sort of set date, but but right around spring. And then they start in the small theater, then they get onto the big stage. And it's pretty much every night mm-hmm. from May until they finish the in play August. in August. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, who comes to see the play and how long does the play run? Is it a one-night-only thing? It used to be. When it, when it first started, it was like a one-night-only thing. And then it became more popular, so they extended it to like a week. And at this point, it's about three weeks. Um, it runs from about the middle of July to like the, the middle of August. For about, And they only have Monday nights off. They, they play it every other night. And it's a very fluid performance because these are real people. So sometimes the lines change and they sort of take it in a different direction. So the, the play at the very beginning can sometimes be a little different than the play at the end, which is, which is interesting to watch. And who's the audience for the play? It's mainly Italians. A lot of people in the area. A lot of people, the, the sort of more intellectual crowds in Italy, who are sort of curious about, about the play. I mean, if you ask them, I think they'd say primarily themselves. You know, if you see it a little bit in some of the rehearsals, the townspeople, you know, if you're not in the play, you're commenting on how you don't think the play is correct. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's your responsibility to at least see it. You know, I mean, it's yeah. the thing that we're going to be talking oh, no, about all course. year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I'm curious about the filming of this because the townspeople are used to examining their own lives. So was filming this a little less challenging because of that? Or was it a little more challenging because they're also used to playing to an audience? Great question. I mean, I I think more challenging because 50 years later, they had gotten so used to what they did that I think they had kind of taken it for granted. They couldn't remember the plays that we had read about and were so fascinated by. To them, it was all one big play. Like, we came to realize after trying to interview them about details that in their mind, it had been a continual play for the last 50 years. And it was just something that their grandparents did and their parents did and they were expected to do. And, you know, some people, I think, really never saw the beauty that an outsider would see in it anymore. We're always looking for opportunities for the subjects to get something out of this experience. You know, they're sitting there for so long and you're taking their portrait and they're so patient. And for them, I think one of the big takeaways was going back to Italy after a couple of years and starting to show them versions of the film and hearing them speak to each other and discuss 
what's wrong with their theater and how they can move forward and why do you you know leave rehearsals and why are you upset and why are the kids not involved so you know i think it was a tradition that was beautiful and singular and amazing but at the same time had kind of fallen into a case where it was not necessarily disrepair but it was underappreciated and you know would you agree with that Chris? Yes I think they had sort of fallen into almost like an autopilot on it and that was Mm. one of the big challenges that we needed to get past was just this idea that they've done it for long enough and they've spoken about it with outsiders you know news crews that would come in for a day and and interview them they had spoken about it on a superficial level for so long that that was kind of what they knew Um, they knew the patter they knew sort of the broad strokes of what they were doing and they were on this kind of autopilot, and that was why we stayed there for six months, because we really felt like we needed to break through that and get to the heart of what was happening. Mm-hmm. And it was a big revelation for them. It was exciting to see them watch the film. And even just recently, we had our Italian premiere at Biagra Film in Bologna, and one of the young men who used to be a part of the theater but no longer is, uh, he came to see it, and we were really curious to hear what he thought about it and he came out of it and he said you know I think that film was very true and I realize now why the theater is important and I I understand it now. His name was Niccolo who had been involved in the theater and a few years before Niccolo had kind of gone away from the theater. I remember talking to Andrea the next morning and all we talked about was what Niccolo thought about the film (laughs) which in my mind, is such a wonderful conversation that I remember because, uh, you know, this is not somebody who's even involved in the theater, but Andrea and I both agreed that it was really important what he felt about the movie and what he felt about the movie was saying. So, you know, it was always our intention on some level to make something that they could discuss, just like their plays, you know, mm-hmm. opening up the process to them seeing rough cuts and, and getting input and things like that and collaborating with them. So even somebody who has dismissed the theater five years ago should have just as much a point of view on the film as somebody who is deeply involved like Andrea. Well, Andrea certainly occupies a rightfully so prominent central position in the film. But Kiara, oh, my God, she was so (laughs) charming. And we should explain who she is, please. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. Kiara is uh, a young assistant director to Andrea. And I think as we filmed and then as we started showing to people, it's really this ray of light of hope for what the theater could be. You know, we're always hanging out with Kara when we're there. And tr- She's wonderful. You know, and she's so, sort of, I think, uh, underappreciated even by herself. Yeah. And I remember Andrea said after he saw the film, he said, I was really pleased about the prominent position you gave to Kiara in yeah. the film. Because I think even while we were filming it, yeah. we didn't appreciate how central she was. Totally. She, she, you know, she is like the heart yeah. of that place, and she's no. got so much energy. Yeah, and that's the great thing, as you know, about documentary is that it tells you, you know. I mean, you always try and impose your idea on it, but that's not always correct. You hope it's not correct. You hope it's something better, you know. Yeah, I mean, she's it's so interesting because she's young. She has to be in her 20s. Mm-hmm. She is, yeah. yeah. And she's fine being behind the scenes. She's not on stage, but right. boy, she's the organizational genius. Yeah, yeah. No, she's always, I remember telling her when we first started cutting and we saw her again, I said, you know what's interesting, Kiara, you're always helping people. And she just smiled. And yeah, I mean, she's the glue. You need those people. It's like somebody says in the film, they're a community and, you know, they're a community of believers. And she is a believer in the same way that Andrea is a believer. And 
I think it's kind of a movie about that of like belief, belief in art, belief in the power of art to transform your life, you know, and those are usually kind of empty words that nobody actually thinks can be true. But here's a place that has been doing it and centering art in their lives for 50 years. And what do they look like and how do they relate to one another? How many hours of film did you shoot? I would say we were there for six months, and we pretty much shot every day. I mean, the great thing was you would go down for coffee every morning with your camera and, and just see see where the day took you. I think I clocked it at about 400 hours for a 90-minute film, so a lot of stuff. And a lot of Italian verite, which, as you've seen, hopefully, in the film, they tend to talk over each other and talk oh, very quickly. which I love. Quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's like music, right. right? But when you're translating that and trying to get to the that root of it. That was my question. <laughs> yeah. That was exactly where I yeah. was going because yeah. then you have to go into the editing room, and oh. that must have really been a bear. Well, we had the same woman who had trained us in learning Italian before we left. We turned into our translator story analyst, you know, and so she would sit in the back with us, the back of our house with us for years and just go through conversations. And, you know, we, knowing Italian enough, we sort of knew the the 80% of it, the 70, 80% of it, but we didn't know the fine details of those yeah, arguments. Yeah, we knew the nuance and, yeah, and which words we could cut on where it wouldn't yeah, sound Yeah, exactly. Verite is entirely boring until it's perfect. You're really just waiting with that line in the water until you feel something, and then you can pull out a fish magically. I don't know if you've spoken to Andrea and the other townspeople about this, but because they are aging, what are their thoughts about this tradition moving forward? Andrea himself has a really beautiful life view. It's very pragmatic. And he says it in the movie, too, that at some point, you know, traditions will end. And it's important that the, that the tradition ends before it just descends into costume drama. It needs to have meaning if, if it's going to continue at all. He very much would like the tradition to continue, but only if it continues to have meaning for the town. I think the townspeople themselves have started to appreciate that meaning a little bit more, ho- hopefully in part because of the film. And... Even some of the young people like Kiara, they have stepped up to try and spread the word and get more young people involved and especially involved in the in the scripting process. So it seems like there is some hope there. The fact that they moved beyond their 50th year this year that they committed to doing a 51st I think was a big deal. Mm-hmm. There's still that looming question of Andrea and him being the center of that wheel and him being the one that really keeps it all together. Right, and he's 76? Yeah, and he's always the last one putting the stage away and climbing the scaffolding. But you know, it can't go. That can't go on forever. This is a chance for a rebirth, and you know, a chance for something new and something different. And I think Andrea would be the first person to support that. I'm curious because you're married mm-hmm. and you're working together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. A strange choice to choose a film about collaboration when you want to collaborate with your spouse, right? Exactly. So, how yeah. did that work out for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're here, you know. We sh- we showed up. I'd like to think we were taught by that town and Italian culture and that theater better ways to collaborate. And after having done the first film, where I was the director and she was the producer, I always thought of it as a duet. Like, what would it sound like if the two of us were doing this together? You know, and it had two voices. And again you kind of, in your mind, take that to be this all-positive thing, and it's, you know, frankly not. It's a messy process. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I don't want to speak for you, so how was it for you? It was 
Wonderful. <laughs> well, I'm, no, I'm very lucky. He's Jeff is an amazing collaborator. He's very generous. But it, it is a messy process. Uh, we always think back to the filmmakers, Penny Baker and Hegedus, who also make documentaries and legends in the business. And Chris Hegedus had this great quote about how every time the two of them go on set, they fall in love again. And every time they get into the editing suite, they get a divorce. <laughs> and... And that, that's largely true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's... you sort of duke it out in the editing suite. But now we're past the editing suite and we're we're back into the the, yeah. the, honey, the We're just quibbling about uh, press quotes or something. Press, like. right. Yeah, the, poster reviews. The more mundane things. Yeah, right. it's, you know, the, your heart's not as in it as much as the story itself. So, so it's so it's good. And I, I feel like it's made us stronger. Yeah. And we have a daughter now. So yeah. We have a toddler. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you want the movie to kind of ask you some questions too and I, I think it was sort of a really big question of what's your life like and you know how what do you want to do to change it and it was doing that film that made us really commit to wanting to have a family so it's been a great opportunity for us to not only learn to collaborate better but also decide how we want to live our life and and what's important to us you know because here's an example of a way of living that I just really admire I think it's so beautiful. I completely agree, and I think you captured it so wonderfully on film. This will stay with me, for sure. Oh, I'm so glad. That was filmmakers Chris Schellen and Jeff Malmberg. We were talking about their documentary, Spectaculo. You can find out more about it at spectaculofilm.com. That's S-P-E-T-T-A-C-O-L-O, film.com. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.